Amen. Amen. The title of the sermon this evening is The Mystery of Godliness. The Mystery of Godliness. I want to draw your attention to verse number 16. Revelation 22, verse number 16. The Bible says, I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. I want you to turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter number 3. 1 Timothy chapter number 3 is where I derive the title of my sermon, 1 Timothy chapter number 3. So I'm going to be preaching about the mystery of godliness and what that means, the mystery of godliness. <clears throat> People will, uh, will talk about you know, the mystery of godliness and they'll misidentify this very often, all too often. Look at verse number 16 here in 1 Timothy chapter number 3, verse number 16. The Bible says, and without controversy, great is the mystery of of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, uh, believed on in the world, received up into glory. So I want you to notice there, number one, is that the, the mystery of godliness, the Bible says, is a great mystery. There are many mysteries that are mentioned in the New Testament, mentioned in the Bible, but this mystery is the only mystery that is specifically referred to as being a great mystery. The word great in the Bible, sometimes it's used this way today as well, referring to large, saying this is a bigger mystery, right? So this mystery you would expect to be harder to understand than the other mysteries that are mentioned in the Bible. This mystery is a great mystery. Now, this particular mystery is misidentified, misunderstood, and thereby misapplied more often than any of the other mysteries. It's, 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 it's misunderstood, it seems like, by almost every single Baptist preacher today. Over and over again you hear people talking about what the mystery of godliness is. And most of the time when people talk about the mystery of godliness, they say that it is applying to the Trinity. You know, the mystery of godliness, they'll say, hey, you know, these three are one. You know, it's a great mystery, right? And what are they referring to? There's only one mystery that's called the great mystery. You start talking, they'll start talking about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And, you know, these three, they're three persons, uh, you know, but they're one God. And I know that's hard to wrap your mind around, but that's why the Bible says, great is the mystery of godliness, right? Well, that's not at all what... This is teaching. It's not talking about the Trinity. It's not talking about three persons that are one God. That's not what's being discussed at all. Not even slightly. And there's a lot of misunderstanding when it comes to the Trinity. When it comes to you know, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. When it comes to how there are three and how these three are one. And, how, and what the actual identity is of the Lord Jesus Christ and who He is how significant he is and where he falls in. There's so much confusion when it comes to this subject. So I'm going to be preaching this, e this evening, excuse me, on the mystery of godliness. And I'm going to be explaining what the mystery of godliness is. Now, let me say this. It is still going to remain a mystery. By the time I'm done, you're still going to have trouble wrapping your mind around it. There are a lot of mysteries in the Bible that there are facts revealed, that there is information, there's data revealed on, and that you have grown in understanding in these subjects. There are many different mysteries, right? The mystery of how we're going to be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. Do you, do you understand every aspect of how you're going to be dead? Your bones are going to rot away. Your body is just going to deteriorate and, 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 and become corrupt, basically gone. And then God's going to come back and He's going to call every molecule of your body back together. Do you understand every aspect of that? Of course not. You know, but, but there, are, there, there is a major element to it that you, do, that you do understand, that you do get. Well, the same thing goes for the mystery of godliness. We can understand much of the mystery of godliness. There's, there's still a lot of questions that we have and things that we're not going to be able to wrap our minds around while we're in this life and in this world, right? In this flesh. Uh, you know, but th there are a lot of, of, of knowledge, there's a lot of knowledge that we, can, that we can call from the Bible and learn and grow in this area. Now first, let's identify what the mystery of godliness is. Let's just get a clear definition. The Bible tells you right here. Look at 1 Timothy chapter number 3, verse number 16 once more. Notice this. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Now notice, there's a colon. 
It's going to repeat the same thing. It's going to tell you what that mystery is. Look at what it says. God was manifest in the flesh. All right, now what is the mystery? What is the mystery of godliness? God was manifest in the flesh. The fact that the one true God became incarnate or became flesh. That is the mystery. That is the mystery of the Bible. It's not the Trinity. Hear me, that's very, very important because people try to find a way to fit that in there. It's not the Trinity at all. It has nothing to do with the Trinity at all. Not at all. You know what the mystery is? God, the Creator, became a man. That's the mystery. That's what the Bible teaches. That is the mystery. So if, 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 if someone tries to you know, jam the Trinity into there, that's not what this is teaching. That's false. That's false doctrine. That's not what this is teaching. The mystery is that God was manifest in the flesh. He goes on to further explain that. Look at this. Justified in the Spirit. Seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world. It's talking about things about his ministry. Isn't that an amazing concept that the one true God came down and dwelled on this earth as a man? Amen. And on this earth, he was justified in the Spirit. He lived a righteous life on this earth, right? He lived a perfect, sinless life. It's referring to things about his life that he lived here actually as a man. He actually did these things. Scene of angels. It says, preached unto the Gentiles. He walked around as a man and went door to door. God went door to door and preached unto the Gentiles. Preached unto the heathen. That's a amazing, isn't it? When you really stop and think about it, that is amazing. Then watch what it says. Believed on in the world, received up into glory. Now think about that. God was received up into glory. I mean, he is glory, right? How is he received into glory? He is glory. He is the one true God that was there and caused Moses' face. Moses' face shone, it says, because that is who he is. He's glory. That's what he is. He's light. How was he received up into glory? It's like, who received him, right? How was he received into glory? So you try to wrap your mind around this, and it's a mystery, isn't it? Because God truly, sincerely, genuinely became a man. God became flesh. That is the mystery in the Bible. Now, people will mock this. People will try to make fun of this. People will, uh, the idea of, you know, the father being the Son. We're going to shift gears here for just a moment. They'll make fun of and they'll mock the idea of the Father being the Son. Sometimes people will not necessarily come from that angle, but they'll just ask the question, you know, how can the Father be the Son at the same time? I want you to go to Isaiah chapter number 9, verse number 6. How can the Father be the Son. Or they'll, like I said, if they come from the mocking angle, they'll ask the question, you know, are you saying that Jesus is his own father? Uh, what, what? No, I'm just kidding. Are you saying that Jesus is his own father? Right? I did that all too well, didn't I? <laughs> I've heard that a few times. You know, so people try to mock this idea, right? That, that, that the Father is the Son or that the Son is the Father. Right? Doesn't that kind of sound like a mystery? If that's true. What we do is we take a step back, we read the Bible, and we take the Bible for what it says. That's what, that is our starting point. I don't care if you don't understand something you read. If the Bible says it, it's true. I believe it. Amen. That, if I read something and I don't understand it, I believe it anyways. I'll understand it later. I have a limited knowledge. I have a limited capability and capacity and my, my mental capacity on this earth, as do you and every other human being. And there are going to be things that you're not going to understand. That's why God explains, hey, my ways are higher than your ways. And my thoughts than your thoughts, right? You know, there are going to be things about God that are hard to understand. And wouldn't it make sense that one of those would be the great mystery? That the, the mystery of God being manifest in the flesh and that being called the great mystery. Wouldn't it make sense that that would be one of the things that are difficult to understand in the Bible? Wouldn't that make sense? Well, look here at Isaiah chapter number 9, verse number 6 with me. And let's just take the Bible for what it says. Isaiah chapter number 9, verse number 6. The Bible says this, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Now, upon whose shoulder? Who is it? It's the son, right? That is the subject. So the government's going to be upon the son's shoulder, right? Okay? And then it says this, and his name, that's the son, his name shall be called Wonderful. So who's Wonderful? 
the son. Okay? Counselor. Who's, who's, who's the counselor? The son. Okay, so the son's the counselor. The mighty God. Who's the mighty God? The son. Okay, one more. The everlasting father. Who's the son? Are you saying that the son is the everlasting father? I'm not saying it. Isaiah 9.6 is saying it. I didn't say it. The Bible said it, buddy. You don't have a problem with me standing here and preaching that the father's the son, the son's the father. You have an issue with Isaiah 9.6 is what you have a problem with. And you can try to twist that and try to say, oh, well, it's this other kind of father. It, you know, there's, there's two fathers. When the Bible is abundantly clear that there's one father. Call no one father but God in heaven, right? There's one God, the Father. Unto us there is but one God, the Father. I mean, the Bible repeats it over and over and over again that there's one Father, and you know who it is? The one true God. So doesn't it make perfect sense here when the Son is called the Mighty God? It follows it up with the Everlasting Father. You know why? Because the Mighty God is the Everlasting Father because there's one God, the Father, fool. So if He's God, He's by you know, a relationship going to be the Father. By product, He will be the Father because the one God is the Father. So, doesn't that seem like a great mystery? Because there's no way around Isaiah 9-6. It clearly says that the Son that is given is the Father. Doesn't that seem like a mystery? Doesn't that seem like it would be contradictory? Right? What is Isaiah 9-6 specifically talking about? It's talking about the birth of Christ. What is that? Everyone would agree, hey, Christ, as far as independent Baptists, Christ is God, right? Christ is God. So what is it? It's the birth of God. What is that? That's the great mystery. God was manifest in the flesh. God was manifest in the flesh. So doesn't that make perfect sense that we would see this great mystery here? God was manifest in the flesh, and the Son here is referred to as the Father. Does that seem somewhat contradictory? It does, doesn't it? That the Son is the Father. It kind of seems like it would be contradictory. On the onset, face, when you look at it without understanding Son and all of these things, we're going to dive into that for just momentarily. But notice, it makes perfect sense that this would be a mystery, doesn't it? The Son is the Father and the Father is the Son. Now, this is, this is where we stop and we say this. Does that sound odd to us? Could that sound odd just stating that? Of course. But what does the Bible say? It says, the son that's given is called the everlasting father, right? All these things are things that he's called because he is these things. He is wonderful. He is a counselor, right? He is the mighty God. He is the prince of peace. He's called the everlasting father because, guess what? He is the everlasting father, right? So, in this passage, we have the son being called the father. The everlasting father. There's no way around it. There's no way around it. This is the mystery of godliness. Go to Revelation 22 where we began. Revelation chapter number 22. Now what is the father? What is a father in general? If we're speaking on, you know, if we're, if we're talking about a, uh, a family tree, right? Talking about an ancestry. What, are we, what, are, what is the father of that tree? He's the source, right? If you were to imagine, you know, a family tree that's here and we're, we're filling in all the branches, right? The root of that would be the Father, wouldn't it? That would be the source of all of it, right? That's where everything comes from. Does that make perfect sense? Well, look at Revelation twenty-two sixteen. 16. Jesus speaking, of course. He tells you, he says, I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. Now watch this. He says this. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. You notice what he just said? He said, I am the root... And the offspring of David. What is the root? It's the source. It's where everything comes from. He, say, he says, I am the root. And then he says this. And the offspring of David. On a family tree, what's the father? What's the patriarch of the family tree? It's the root of the tree. On a family tree, what is the fruit of the tree? What is the last branch, right? It would be the offspring so doesn't this sound, on the onset, doesn't it sound contradictory? Are you saying that the Father is the Son? This is just as, as what would be seemingly contradictory, isn't it? He says, I am the root and the offspring. Do you know why it's just as seemingly confusing? Because it's the exact same subject. You know what it's teaching? The Father 
is the Son. And the Son is the Father. The root and the... Are you saying that the root is the offspring? Yeah, no, Revelation 22, 16 saying that. Is that what you're teaching? That's what the Bible's teaching. Do you know what he means by root? God. Do you know who the one God is? The Father. You know what the offspring is? It's the Son. But it's like when it's like when Jesus was talking to and they were trying to tempt him, the scribes and the Pharisees and all of them, they were asking him all the different questions. And Jesus responds to them, he's like, What say ye of Christ? Whose son is he? Right? They, he, uh, Jesus puts this question up to them. And they go back and forth, and then he ends up responding and saying, Okay, well, if he's the son of David, then why did David in spirit saying, like, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost? So you can't say, hey, that's not scripture, right? That's why he had to make sure he threw that in there. Why did David in spirit, you know, uh, make the statement calling him Lord? Right? The Lord said unto my Lord. Why did he say that? You know why? Because he's the root and the offspring. Yeah, he's of, just like it tells you in Revelation 5 when the lamb comes. You know what it says? That he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. That's the offspring and the root of David. Right? You know what he is? He's the father and he's the son. He is the Lord. The Lord said unto my Lord, he is the Lord of David. He is the God of you know, Israel, the God of all creation. But then he's also the offspring. Why? Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. He came of the line of Judah. He was born of the line of Judah. He's the root and the offspring of David. See, it's teaching the exact same thing. I want to show this to you a couple of different times. Right now, uh, I want you to go to Luke chapter number 1, verse number 35. I want to talk about the importance of having the right definition when it comes to what it means of Jesus being the Son of God. What does it mean when it says Jesus is the Son of God? That's, of course, um, the emphasis being on Him being the offspring, right? There's definitely more to that, but that's the emphasis, Him being the offspring. Of course, the Son of Man is just a full emphasis on His one side, His humanity. Son of God is talking about His other side, but the fact that He has a birth still speaks of his humanity in a big way, right? <clears throat> Look at Luke chapter number 1, verse number 35. Michaela, give me some water, please. Luke chapter number 1, verse number 35 says this, And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Then it says this, Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee, and then it says, shall be called the Son of God. So we get the definition of why Jesus is referred to as the Son of God in the Bible. Many people try to say that He's the Son of God from eternity. He's always been the Son of God. But this is the clear definition from the Bible. There's no mistaking. It is extremely easy to understand. And actually, it's the same way you get the definition of any word, right? When the Bible talks about names and it gives names, like when it says about Jesus' name, it tells you for, right? Same, therefore, same thing. Oftentimes when it gives the definition of names afterwards, it will even use therefore. This is the reason why. That's what that means. For this reason. Look what it says one more time. The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Saying that God is the father of this child, right? God is sending his Holy Spirit, and he is the one that is causing you to Conceive. And then it says this, Therefore, so because God is fathering the child, God is the father of the child, and not another man, just a human being, it says, Also that holy thing which shall be born of thee. Now that is speaking about his humanity. God being born as a man, right? Because the holy thing that shall be born of thee. What was Mary? Was she divinity? Was she deity? Of course not, right? She was a human being, right? And Jesus said in John 3, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. So it says, he says here, that holy thing which shall be born of thee, that's flesh, right? Shall be called the Son of God. So God, when he was born in the flesh, that is the reason why we call him the Son of God. It's a very clear definition. That holy thing which shall be born of thee. So it is a result, consequently, or because of that taking place. Did this take place in eternity? Did it happen before the foundations of the world? 
no well therefore means consequently it means after this happened after this happened therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the son of god that's why he's called the son of god and this is a condition and it's required to take place first therefore if it hasn't happened yet he's not the son of god point proven game over i mean it is the argument's done it's put down there is no argument about, about this any longer it's extremely clear here is him being referred to we see him as as the offspring right we see him as being born in the flesh but a fuller definition, what does it mean to be the Son of God? Well, it means to be God as a man. It means to be God in the flesh. I want you to turn with me to John chapter number 8, verse number 24. 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, verse number 47 says this. Listen to this. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 47. It says this, The first man is of the earth earthy. It's talking about Adam or our first man as well by, by uh, um, you know, uh, proxy. The first man is of the earth, earthy. Then it says this. The second man is the Lord from heaven. The second man is the Lord from heaven. That's a strong verse proving that it was God that came. The second man is the Lord from heaven. But not only that, notice it says the second man. Saying Adam came first. Then the second man saying he came afterwards when he was born later on into this world. The second man is the Lord from heaven. What is son of God? It is God as a man. It's referring to God as a man. John chapter number 8 verse number 24. John chapter number 8 verse number 24. People say, oh, that's, that's contradictory. That's contradictory. The father being the son. Well, what about him saying I'm the root and the offspring? Right? Look at John chapter number 8, verse number 24. Notice what it says here. John chapter number 8, verse number 24. I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins, for if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. Does that sound kind of like a mystery, what he just said? Does that, does, you know, is that logical? Does that normally, you normally people say, you, you ever hear anybody say, if you believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins? Or does that sound mysterious, the way that that's worded? Kind of sound like a contradiction, right? Right? It does, doesn't it? We, let's get the full context. Look at, look at the verse just prior to it. Verse number 23. And he said unto them, Ye are from beneath, I am from above. Ye are of this world, I am not of this world. Who's he saying he is right now? I mean, God. Amen. He's saying he's God. He said, you are from beneath, right? He says, ye, ye are of this world, I am not of this world. He's saying he's God. People, people have tried to take verse 24, those that are, um, uh, you know, like Reformationists and uh, Arians, Jehovah's Witnesses, and they try to say, oh, he's just, he's just prophesying that he's the Messiah. Did you not read the verse right before it? Where he plainly tells them, you are of this world and I'm not of this world? He plainly says, hey, you are from beneath and I am from above. Then verse number 24, he makes the statement, John 8, 24, I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins, for if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. You know what you have here? You have the offspring saying that he is the root. That's what you have. You have the man, Christ Jesus, standing here and saying, I am the root. I, the offspring, the flesh, is standing there and saying, I'm the one true God. Isn't this mysterious? Don't people with the Trinity, don't they have trouble with this verse and they try to explain it and this is where they say, hey, this is where the Trinity kicks in. So we need to activate that Trinity button when we can't explain something. Doesn't it happen in verses like this? No, no, no. See, this is what you don't understand. The Trinity is not what the mystery is. That's not where the mystery falls. The mystery falls in 1 Timothy 3.16. Great is the mystery of godliness. And you know what it does? It perfectly and adequately explains this passage. You have God as a man. God being 100% being flesh walking on this earth. And he, tell, and he tells them right before. It's not about the Trinity. He tells them right before he says this. You are from below or from beneath and I am from above. He's saying I'm not just a man. My real origin is up there. He's saying, I'm God. That's what he's saying. Speaking to them when they're flesh, he's explaining, you're just flesh. And you may think that I'm just flesh. You're actually from here. This is your origin. You came from this earth, but I'm from above. And then he goes on to say, I said therefore unto you that you shall die in your sins. For if you believe not that, that I, this guy right here, 
the offspring, the Son of God, Jesus of Nazareth, that I am He, the root. You shall die in your sins. You know what that sounds? It sounds contradictory kind of, doesn't it? It sounds mysterious. It's where people always try to pull out the Trinity, explain it with the Trinity. No, 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 no. The mystery doesn't lie with the Trinity. The mystery lies with when we see Him speaking about His humanity, speaking as a man, and then talking about Him being God. It's the root and the offspring. It's the Father is the Son. The one true God is the Father. That one God became flesh. And when He became flesh, that was the Father, the everlasting Father, the mighty God becoming the Son. The Son that was given was the everlasting Father being born on this earth as a man. So when people don't understand what it means, the definition of the Son of God, and that it's a reference to His humanity, and it's not speaking about this person from everlasting, it's speaking about the person that's from everlasting God in heaven becoming the man. Not a second person from everlasting other than the one and only true God. That's where people get all screwed up in their minds. It's not another person. It's the one true God who is one person from everlasting becoming a man. The root became the offspring. That's what happened. The father became the son. He became Jesus here and he, that's why he's speaking in first person. says, if you believe not that I am he, you shall die in your sins. Well, let's see. Jesus is the son of God, right? We, we all agree with that. We all believe that. We, you know, you know, other people may come to a different conclusion about what the definition of the Son of God means. Obviously, they're wrong. But we would all agree, hey, he's the Son of God. Okay, look at verse 25. Then said they unto him, Who art thou? And Jesus saith unto them, Even the same that I said unto you from the beginning. I have many things to say and to judge of you, but he that sent me is true. Who's the he there? Father. Father. Oh, but you expect me to believe that the he just, the verse before that is totally different he. He's talking about 50 different he's here, but you figure it out. Ridiculous. He that sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I have heard of him. Now look at the next verse, verse 27. They understood not that he spake to them of the Father. So who's he talking about? The Father. That's who he's speaking of. That's who he's talking about. In verse number 25, he said, who art, they, they asked him, Who art thou? And Jesus saith unto them, Even the same that I said unto you from the beginning. He says, This is what I've been telling you all along. And then you know what it says? Right after that, it tells you, They understood not that he spake to them of the Father. Do you know what you have there? I. Right there he says this. If you believe not that I am he. You have the son saying I'm the father. That's what you have. Great is the mystery of godliness. That is a great mystery. That is what the mystery lies in. How the one and only true God from everlasting who is eternal, who is limitless, who just has all power, all knowledge, how that man, how that God is born and becomes a man. How God, the creator, becomes the creation. He's outside of eternity and then he steps into time. That's amazing. That is amazing. Look at uh, John chapter number 3, verse number 13. People always want to just, they get a difficult verse, they want to activate the Trinity, right? They can't explain it, you know? It's like, what is that, Staples? Is that the company that has the button? Who is that? Is it Staples? What is it called? What's the button? The easy button. They have a Trinity button. When there's difficult passages that are actually answered with the root and the offspring, that are actually answered with the Son that's given as the everlasting Father, they don't understand it. They've just heard a million times all the greatest the mystery of God. Let's talk about the Trinity. So they have these passages, believe not that I am He. They're like, well, brother, it's just the Trinity. You can't understand it. Activate that Trinity button. The easy button, that's what it does. It just gets it out of the way for them. It's just a way to explain it away without doing work, without studying the Bible, without digging in and understanding it for themselves. That's what it is. It's their way of just keep holding on to what they believe and then just explain it away. Every time that you have a difficult passage, the book of John, it's not explained by, you know, the three persons are one God, they all share one essence, or even three persons is one person. It's not explained by that. It's explained by His humanity. That's what it's explained by. Look at John chapter number 3, verse number 13. <clears throat> and no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven. So notice he said he came down from heaven. Who's he saying he is? God, right? Then he says this, 
even the Son of Man which is in heaven. Amen. Isn't that mysterious? Like, what in the world? You know, you're sitting there, imagine, it may be hard to, to get when you're just sitting there talking to, to Jesus. I mean, put yourself in their shoes. You know, Nicodemus, that is, his shoes. And Jesus is sitting there telling him, you know, no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven. And he's like, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And you're looking into the whites of his eyes, and he just told you that he is in heaven, and that he had already ascended into heaven. Doesn't that sound contradictory, mysterious, and almost crazy? But doesn't it make perfect sense when you understand the one true God was manifest in the flesh? Amen. The one true God. Did he leave? Did he step off of his throne and then like jump into space and, and, and just fly here like that? Is that how he did this? No, he spoke the word and his word through the Holy Spirit caused Mary to conceive. Amen. So that same God was on the throne. That same God was unmoved, still seated, there in heaven. Unchanged, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. He's just seated there while he also, at that same moment, concurrently, was conceived, you know, born ultimately, grew. The Bible says he grew in wisdom and in stature. That's not a mystery. What's it talking about? You have the one true God. Everyone agrees that he's the Lord from heaven. It says the second man is the Lord from heaven, right? There's no way around this. He's God. It says the Lord grew in wisdom and in stature. The Lord. How do you explain that? Great is the mystery of God. It's not the Trinity. That's not how you explain it. You explain it with what the Bible tells you is the mystery, right? It's that God became a man. He genuinely became a man. He grew in wisdom and in stature. He had to cut his fingernails. He had to cut his toenails. He got scabbed sometimes. You know, you've got to put it in perspective. He had to get a haircut, Right? He had to lay down at night when he was a kid and go to sleep and wake up. He had a schedule for the day of what he was going to do. Right? He had to go and, you know, he lived as a real man. He had to get a bath when he got dirty. He was a real man in every way, fully, genuinely, sincerely. He grew in wisdom and in stature. You understand that completely? No. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. Amen. That creator, that, that, that God, that one true God, he became flesh. He walked on this earth and he said, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. Present tense while he's on the earth. It's not the Trinity. The Trinity doesn't explain that, my friend. The, the great is the mystery of God. What is the mystery? What, how do we explain the mystery? It's humanity. It tells you. God was manifest in the flesh. God was manifest in the flesh. Uh, I'm going to tell you what influenced this sermon or what drove me to preach this sermon. So I went out soul winning on Thursday night and I was knocking doors in my area, you know, uh, right there next to the street where, where Brother Rick and I uh, finished up in the morning, Biddy Lane. And I knocked on a woman's door, super nice, super kind. I could tell she was church. She quoted verses after me. But right when I got there and I knocked on her door, I asked her the usual questions. If you die today, do you know for sure you go to heaven? She said, yes. For sure, right? And I said, okay, what do you believe a person has to do to get to heaven? She gave me an answer, you know, uh, faith alone. And I had to dig a little deeper, but it, it ended up being extremely clear. Faith alone. No works are involved at all. I even said, like, hey, somebody believes. I had to pin her down. If somebody believes and they do no works at all. What's going to happen? If they believe, they're saved. You know, some people may go astray. Like, she, she clearly understood it. She was somewhat articulate. And I said, okay. I said, um... What about when they're saved? Can they ever lose their salvation for any reason? She's like, no. Like I said, they go astray, but they're saved forever. And I don't always ask this. I've asked, I tried to recall more so today how many times I've asked this question. I only remember a couple times ever asking it. And I asked the question, I, I felt provoked to ask her whether or not she believed that Jesus was God. And I asked her the question, I just said, and you believe Jesus is God, right? Almost kind of like as an afterthought, like I wasn't even, because I wasn't even really going to ask it, and I usually don't. And she's like, she's like, he's the son of God. I said, yeah, and obviously we understand the definition of son of God is teaching he's God as a man. And I said, yeah, but you believe he's God too, right? Still thinking, oh, she's for sure going to say he's God. Yeah, he's God, he's the son of God. Because a lot of times people that are taught the, 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 the Orthodox Catholic Trinity, when they hear God... They think the Father, right? Which, you know, 
that's where they're messed up, right? Because the, the one God is the Father, but that is Jesus, right? He, you know, he came in the flesh, Jesus Christ. And I asked her further, I said, you know, uh, so you believe he's God though, right? He's the Son of God and he's God. And she's like, no, he's not God. And I said, I said, then I was like, an alarm went off. And I'm like, she went to a Baptist church her whole life. She's like 65 years old or something like that. She'd been attending a Baptist church, the same one for like 40 years. Okay? And I stopped and I said, you mean that he's not God at all? Like he's just a man? And she even explained to me and articulated that yes, he was divinely and supernaturally conceived, but that was his origin. And God caused that. It's, it's what Arians believe. It's what people that reject the deity of Christ entirely. And she explained like no Godhead, no Godhood dwelled in him at all. There was no deity in him. and He was not God. He was the Son of God. See how the definition of the Son of God is different across the board to, to all these different people? See the importance of understanding what it means when we say the Son of God and also being able to explain it to other people. Another thing too, and this is a requirement going soul winning. From now on, when you ask the questions at the door, do you, you know, what do you have to do to go to heaven? And also the follow-up, can you ever lose your salvation? It is required at Value Baptist Church to ask them whether or not they believe that Jesus is God. You say, why? I said therefore unto you that, if you, that you shall die in your sins, for if ye believe not that I am He, ye shall die in your sins. That woman was not saved. 100%. I don't care if she was Baptist her entire life. She was not saved. I took like, like 20 minutes going through tons of scriptures. I mean, I showed her probably 20 scriptures literally about the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And she believed it. And then I took her to John 8, 24 and I thought I was going to get more pushback. I got a little... But I showed her, John 8, 24, first I showed her the I am He. I showed her in context, He's saying that He's the Father. Then I took her back to Isaiah 43, 10. And I said, what's it saying here? Okay, look at what it says. Yeah, He's saying, I am He, right? It says, you know, that you may know me and believe that I am He. I said, what did Jesus say? He said the same thing, I am He. And I said, remember all this passage that says He's God. What do you think it's saying there? Well, he's, he's, I guess, telling us, you know, like it said, he's the Father, he's God. I said, right, he's saying he's God, right? And I showed her the passage as well. Notice it says that he's, here in Isaiah 43, 11, the next verse, it says that he's the Savior. Who's the Savior, ma'am? She said, well, Jesus. And I said, God here says in the Old Testament that there is no Savior beside him. And this flies in the face of the Orthodox Trinity as well. It shows how many problems that they have. The one God speaking in the Old Testament says, there's no Savior beside me. None. Beside me, right? She says, yeah. And I said, is it possible that Jesus could be not God, not the God that's speaking in Isaiah 43, 10 and 11, and still be a Savior? It's not possible. Because God who's speaking said, I'm the only Savior and there's no Savior beside me. And I said, then who's speaking in John 8, 24? She said, God. I said, that's right, God. The Lord is speaking. Took her back to John 8, 24. I read that verse to that woman again and I said, what is this verse teaching that if you don't believe that Jesus is God? She said, the exact words, you're not saved. And I said, when I got here, did you believe that Jesus was God? And she said, no. And I said, well, let me ask you another question. When I got here, were you saved? You know what she said? No. She 100% and fully acknowledged she was unsaved, without a doubt. Then I just said, okay, real quick, I'm going to take you through real fast the good news of the gospel. And I just went through it. I, I, I could do it quickly because she knew the Bible. She knew scriptures well. That woman, that woman believed that Jesus Christ was fully man and no God at all. That he was an ordinary man in his nature. The only difference was that God chose out, he was, gonna, he was going to uh, uh, supernaturally conceive the Messiah through sending his Holy Spirit. And a man, fully 100% man, 0% God was born. He was just a normal man. That woman was 100% not saved. Going forward, 
you must, you must ask the question. And it may take time you know, to get into it. If I wouldn't ask that question, I would have left that door. That woman would have been unsaved and she probably would have died and went to hell because she rejected the deity of Christ. The authority of John 8, 24, you must believe that Jesus is God. You must believe that Jesus is God. You might as well ask one more question. Just one question right after that and verify and make sure that they understand that. Do you know what she said to me though? When I told her that Jesus was God... He is God. Before I got into any scriptures, she said, in order to believe that, you would have to believe that the Father is the Son, and the Son is the Father. That was the very first thing that she said to me. The very first thing. And I said, ma'am, that's what the Bible teaches. And I showed her a few passages in the New Testament first where, where, uh, you know, I, where Hebrews 1.8, under the sun he saith, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. Verses that specifically use the word God. Because I didn't know if she was coming from a, a true Arian perspective, like she had been influenced by that. Because they'll say, Arians will say, like Jehovah's Witnesses, he's Lord, but he's not God. Right? Lord is just like a ruler that God has appointed over things, but he's just a divinely you know, conceived man. Almost the same thing. So I showed her a scores of verses in the New Testament that said, point blank, he's God. I showed her God was manifest in the flesh. Then I took her to Isaiah 9-6, and I showed her Isaiah 9-6, and I said, who was born? Who was given? The Son. Went through the list, and I said, who does it say the Son is? The everlasting Father, doesn't it? Doesn't that make perfect sense? I said, what did you say to me a minute ago? In order to believe that Jesus is God, I show you all the scriptures that said he's God, it'd make perfect sense now that he's who? You were right. The Son is the Father. Do you know why? He's the root and he's the offspring. That's the mystery of godliness, my friend. This is, this is something we need to be sound in. People are dying and going to hell. The Baptists have dropped the ball. They are out there preaching behind their pulpits all day that Jesus is the Son of God. And you know what? Amen. But you need to understand what it means when you preach and tell your congregation Jesus is the Son of God. Use the Bible to define that and not only teach that He's the Son of God, teach that in clarity that He's God. People need to understand that He's God. If you don't understand that Jesus is God, you're going to hell. You're not saved. You're going to die and you're going to go and burn in hell for all eternity. Do you know why? Because you have to be trusting in God to save you. Only God can save you. Only God can save you. You must put your faith in the Lord. The Bible says this from beginning to end. Jeremiah 17, 5, Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man. Think about that if Jesus is just, to be a, is just a man. Cursed be the man that trusteth in man. If you are just trusting in you know, a, a Jesus that is, a, that is just a man, you have, no, you have no hope. Then it says this, And maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord, and whose, tr and whose trust, whose hope, I'm sorry, the Lord is. I want you to go to John chapter number 6, verse number 47. Isaiah 43, 10 and 11 say this, Ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that ye may know and believe me and understand that I am He. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. <clears throat> God is the only Savior. God. Jesus' name is Jehovah Saves. He is the Savior. You know why? Because He's the Father being born as the Son. He's the root and the offspring. Jesus, that is. Look at John 6, 47. <clears throat> John chapter 6, verse number 47. <clears throat> Most of you use this in your uh, 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 gospel presentations. It says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. Look over at John 5, 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me. Notice that. So before he said, believing on me, you'll have everlasting life. Now he said, believing on him that sent me. Hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Go to John 7. John chapter 7, look at verse 38. Jesus says, He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Now go to Romans 4. Again, so you notice there, he said that you, if you believe on him, you'll have those rivers of water. 
Romans chapter number 4. Look at verse number 23. Now it was not written for his sake alone, saying Abraham, that it was imputed to him, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed. Talking about righteousness. If we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. Who does it say you have to believe in or believe on to be saved? It says the Father. Him that raised up Jesus from the dead. Who did Jesus say you had to believe in? Him. Him. Because they're the same. That's why it says in, in 1 John, it says over and over and over again, he that has the, if you don't have the Father, you don't have the Son. Right? You know why? Because they're one. Because the Son is the Father in the flesh. A Son is given, and His name is called the Everlasting Father. The Son is the... Are you saying that the Son is the Father? The Bible teaches that. Amen. The Bible says that the root is the offspring. You know who it is? Jesus. The Son is the Father. The Father is the Son. So you need to understand what the son is. It's the offspring. It's the man that's born. Who's the root? It's the father. It's God, right? John, John chapter number 12. John chapter number 12. And then we have just two more scriptures we're going to go to real quick. John chapter number 12. John chapter number 12 explains all of this. Look at verse number 44. Jesus cried and said, He that believeth on me, believeth not on me but on him that sent me. And he that seeth me, seeth him that sent me. I think that's pretty clear, right? It doesn't need much explanation. When you're looking at Jesus, you know, you're looking at the Father. Amen. Why? Because the Son is given as the Father. The root is the offspring. They're one and the same, right? Extremely clear. People will, 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 will teach, you know, that uh, what, what took place when it comes to the divine plan of salvation, right? The provident plan of salvation was that there was the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost in heaven. And that the Father, go to Hebrews 12. And that the Father in heaven, He engineered, He designed the plan of salvation, right? The Father, that He was the, the author of the plan of salvation. That's what people will teach. And what did He end up doing? What was His decision? What was His choice? Person number one did what? Decided to choose... Person number two to be sent, right? Everybody's scared to answer because Stephen Anderson might make a clip of you, right? You know, he, you, know, you have person number one sitting there and supposedly he's the author of the plan. He's, he's the one that's designing the plan. He's the engineer of all of salvation. And then he chooses, hey, person number two is going to go. The son, right? I want you to go. The son goes and what does the son do? What does he say on the cross? It is finished. So he... You know, the second person went out and he finished it. The first person was the author of that plan. Look at Hebrews chapter number 12, verse number 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Do you know who authored the plan of salvation? Do you know whose idea it was? Of salvation, think about it. That's the author of something. That's the creator of something. Do you know who is the one that authored the plan of salvation and came up with the plan of salvation? Jesus. Jesus was the one that decided, I'm going to come down and I'm going to die on the cross. Jesus was the author, and then guess what? Jesus was the finisher. He was in heaven. It was his idea. He was the one that decided, I'm going down. You know what happened? He finished it too when he died on the cross. But it was the same guy who authored the plan when he was in heaven. The author and the finisher. Oh man, that seems contradictory. The beginning and the ending. Kind of seems contradictory. The root and the offspring. The son that's given, guess what? He's the father. If you believe not that I am he shall die in your sins. It's kind of like mystery, right? It is. Great is the mystery of godliness. That one true God authored that plan. He decided. That's why he prophesies about it all throughout the Old Testament and reveals it to us. And then he said, you know what? I'm going to bring salvation to myself through my own arm. And you know who, what happened? He finished it. Amen. He authored it. He came up with the idea. It was his plot. It was his plan. He engineered it. The one God. The one God came and then he finished it. Alright, I want you to turn to Colossians chapter 2. We're going to skip some stuff here. Just go to Colossians chapter number 2. I'm, I'm going to read these other ones to you. I'll read them in less than two minutes and then we'll read that other one and be done. It's crucial to understand two points when it comes to this. Number one, that the Son, the Son of God, is a reference to God as a man. 
God in His humanity. That's what Son of God is. It's also <clears throat> crucial to understand, these are basic foundational doctrines, that God is the Father. That there is one God, the Father. I mean, that's clear statements. I'm almost quoting a couple of passages to you. God is the Father. There's one God and He is the Father. That's why when Jesus was speaking to the scribe, you asked him what was the greatest commandment, right? And he, he explains to him, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and all that, right? And he goes on and on with all thy strength and mind and soul. He responds to him and he, you know, he tells him, there is one God and there is none other but He. Notice He. What did, what did, he, did he think God was an essence? Or did he think He was a person? So there is one God and there is none other but they? No. There is none other but He. I'm going to read you from John chapter number 10. You stay where you're at. John chapter number 10, verse number 33. It says this, The Jews answered, answered Him, saying, For a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy. And because that thou being a man, makest thyself God. Jesus answered. So notice, thou being a man, makest thyself God. Now let's see what He said. The Jews answered him saying, for, oh, I'm sorry, Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law? I said, Ye are gods. If he called them gods unto whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, say ye of him whom the Father hath sanctified and sent into the world, thou blaspheme, blasphemest, because I said, I am the Son of God. Do you know what it means to say you're the Son of God? It's God as a man. Amen. It's God as a man. It's the one God, he becoming a man. Now that's interesting. We'll compare it with another scripture. Two other scriptures. You stay where you're at. Eight, uh, John 8, 53. He makes this statement. Uh, Art thou greater than our father Abraham, which is dead? He says, and the prophets are dead. And he says, they make this statement. Whom makest thou thyself? Whom makest thou thyself? So I ask him, who are you trying to say that you are? Notice this. This is what I want to point out. Whom? Whom? What does that mean? It's a person. Whom? They don't say what. They said whom. Kind of like there is one God and none other but what? He. And they said, whom makest thou thyself? And they said, thou being a man, makest thyself God. Was that an essence? No. It was a he. And Jesus confirmed that that was the right understanding of God. That he's not an essence. He's not a substance. He's a person. When, he's, when Jesus told that scribe, you know what he said to him? When he said, there's only one God and there's none other but He, he said, thou art not far from the kingdom of heaven. Thou art not far from the kingdom of heaven. What's he doing? He's, he's affirming that what you just told me is correct. That's the correct understanding of God. That He's not a substance. He's not an essence. He's a person. He's the Father who became the Son. Now that in light of this, last passage I'll read you and then we'll read there in Colossians 2 and close. John 19 verse number 7 says this, the Jews answered him, We have a law, and by our law he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. Notice what they said that time. He made himself the Son of God. Now what did Jesus say to them previously? That he was the Son of God. And what did they reiterate to him? Thou being a man, makest thyself God. So those same people that understood when he said the Son of God, said that what that meant was, thou being a man, makest thyself God. They weren't confused about what this meant. They understood very clearly because they repeat it later. And they say, hey, we have a law and by our law he ought to die. What did he make himself? The Son of God. You know what that meant? It meant that the one true God as a man. They 100% completely fully understood it. Even the Pharisees and the scribes, the, the, the Christ-rejecting Jews, understood what it meant when He said, the Son of God. They understood that He was saying that He is He. That He is the one and only true God. They even understood that God was not an essence. That God was not a substance. That's why they said, whom makest thou thyself? That's why the scribe responded to Jesus and he said that, that there, there's one God and there's none other but He. And Jesus said, Thou art not far from the kingdom of, of God. This is very important and I'm going to explain to you why right here in Colossians chapter number 2. Because Christians are extremely confused about this subject. 
And we haven't been talking about it very much lately. But people that say they are Christians, that, that, that obviously are not Baptist churches, this doctrine is not that difficult. And there's a lot of confusion. So many people are so lost and so confused on what Son of God means, on what even the word God means. They think it's a what. They think it's an essence. And even the Jews, the unsaved Jews who rejected Jesus, understood it. And Jesus confirmed that they were right. This is basic. This, this is building upon the sermon this morning. This is foundational. You can be confused about this for a long time, but when you get it, you need to get it solid. Like I was talking about, when you understand it, you need to lay it down. It needs to be something that we are strong on and we lay a strong foundation on. It's one of the greatest commandments. That there's one God and you need to love Him with all your heart, mind, and soul. And there's only one God and there's none other but He. Even the, the unsaved Jews understood what the definition of Son of God meant. I mean, isn't that shameful and embarrassing? And then you ask, you know, Christians today, even saved Christians, what does it mean to be the Son of God? It's the second person from all eternity. He's always been the Son. He's, he's forever been the Son. It's a shame. It's a complete and absolute shame. It's embarrassing, right? It's, it's, we need to make sure that we get solid on this. And I believe strongly that God used and is using Valiant Baptist Church. It's not just me. It needs to be everybody. For the purpose of, you know how many people have reached out to me and said that they were, that now they're awoken to the, to the fact that Jesus is the one and only true God. And through that, Jesus has received so much more glory. And that's the ultimate goal of this, is, is giving Him more praise and honor. And people understanding that one true God is Jesus. And you know what it is? It's understanding that the Father is the Son. It's understanding that the root is the offspring. Isn't that a powerful statement? It's so powerful because of the mystery that's behind it. You know that? He's saying, I am the root and the offspring. And he declares it boldly. That's an amazing statement. We need to understand this. Hey, it's a mystery. I understand. But you can, there, as everyone has, has seen tonight, and I'm sure everyone took it in, a lot of this they already understood, you can understand this to a degree. We need to spread this and teach this. This needs to be something important to us, understanding this. Colossians chapter number 2, look at verse number 2. That their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding. Notice, so you can't have understanding of, look what it's saying, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God. Then it says this, and of the Father and of Christ. The one God is the Father, right? And as we, we talked about, you know, that one God who is the Father became the Son. Who is the Christ? It's the offspring. Who is the root? God, the Father. So what you have there when it says the mystery of God and of the Father, that's the root. And of Christ. Now, watch what it says. In whom? Now, who is the last person spoken of the object there? Christ. In whom, talking about Christ, are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this I say. Now, he's going to explain to you why he told you that last statement about Christ. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the spirit, joying, beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as ye have been taught. Abounding therein with thanksgiving. Now watch what it says in verse number 8. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. After the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Now look at verse number 9. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So he talks about this warning. There's this mystery. And the mystery is God, the Father, and of Christ. And he's like, now I want to give you a bit of advice so that no one can deceive you about this mystery. Do you know how you can be safe? That you can make sure you're on the right side? Just understand this one thing. In Him. Who? Christ. 
dwells or dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That body, that's the flesh. That's the offspring. And God the Father, God, the one true God the Father, became the Son. That's why there was a Son that was given. And that mystery is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. This mystery is, is vastly misunderstood by people today. To the point where Baptist churches can have, a pastor in a Baptist church can have a member every week walk in for 40 years and sit down in their pew. For 40, or 40 years, I'm sorry, I said 40 weeks. For 40 years can come in and sit down in their pew. And that person, without they know their name and everything, that person doesn't even believe that Jesus is God. Has no idea. And the first thing they say is, well, to believe that, you'd have to believe that the Father is the Son. We need to clear up the confusion about this subject. There's a lot of confusion. Then you have a responsibility when you're given truth. Unto whom much is given, of whom is much required. This is a great truth that brings glory to the Lord Jesus Christ, the greatest truth that I've ever understood or discovered in my life and, and digged into and found verses about. It's a great, great, great truth. And you, you understanding it and knowing it, you have a responsibility yourself. Value Baptist Church has a responsibility. We need to clear up the confusion. Hey, it's a mystery, but we need to make sure that they understand what the mystery even is and point them to the verses and help them grow in the knowledge of this mystery. You know what that said about that mystery? You know what you do? You need to come to the full assurance and understanding of the mystery. You can grow in knowledge of the mystery. So you know what you need to do? Make sure that people understand that in, the full, in Him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. All the glory gets put on Christ. All of it. There's this mystery of God, the Father, and of Christ. You know what we need to narrow it down to? Giving Him the glory. That's our responsibility with this truth. Bringing all of the glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. All of it. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, God, we thank You, dear Lord.